please do take out your bulletin at this time as we turn to Scripture together. You can also follow along on the screen and, of course, in a Bible if you have one. We are in Psalm 139 in its entirety, verses 1 through 24. Hear now God's word. To the choir master, a psalm of David. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God! O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. This is the word of the Lord. Morning, everyone. Great to be with you this morning. Uh, We are in our last week of this series, Summer in the Psalms, and I hope you've enjoyed it. We've we've, uh, learned a lot of things. If you've been here with us through the summer, we've learned that um, in Psalm number one, which kind of sets the table for all 150 psalms right there in the middle of your Bible, that we have Uh, an option before us. We can delight in the law of the Lord or we can rebel against it and it will be to either our great joy or our deep despair. Uh, We've learned that the Lord is kind and gentle toward us, just like a shepherd is toward his sheep. And uh, Psalm 23, the most one of the most famous uh, passages in all the Bible, we learn that God is like a shepherd to us and that foreshadows, of course, the coming of the good shepherd, of, of King Jesus. And we, we've heard that uh, we are to long for God like a, 
a deer in the midst of a drought is looking for a tiny little stream just to lap up a little bit of water, that we would long for God and his presence and his power and relationship with him in our lives as, as a deer longs for streams of water. We have, we've heard the cry, how long, O Lord? And hopefully we are comforted by the fact that though tragedy strikes uh, at one point or another in all of our lives and and some of us suffer more than others, um, hopefully we are comforted by the fact that God's people have suffered similarly in the past. And we've seen that our hope in tragedy and triumph in life and in death is the everlasting steadfast love of God that we know and experience through what the Psalms, the, the one that the Psalms point to, and that is the very Son of God, the eternal Son, Jesus Christ. So this morning we're going to close our series out and we're going to look at how God's knowledge of us is absolutely exhaustive and he loves us still. And that is good news, amen? And actually how we understand who God is will determine whether we think that is good news or whether we feel like that is oppressive and painful and difficult. So let's pray, and we'll take a look at Psalm 139. Father, we thank you so much for gathering us here together, and Lord, we know that um, in your presence there is fullness of joy. Uh, as your word says, Lord, um, I don't know how people are feeling. I'm feeling pretty joyful. I, I know that, that there are all kinds of different things going on in people's lives, so uh, whether, whether or not there, there is joy or sorrow, uh, whether there is happiness or, or sadness right now, I pray, Lord, that you would draw us to you so that we can hear your word and understand it, and even more that we can apply it to our lives. Uh, we pray that this would come as good news, and I, I pray for anyone who's here who isn't quite sure what they believe right now, and I pray that you would make clear to them your love for them, and that you would even draw them to you by the power of your spirit to, to hear the great news of the gospel and to be changed forever. And Lord, we pray that you would lead us in the way everlasting. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, the first thing, we, when we look at Psalm 139, I want to look at verses 1 through 12 first, and I want to emphasize what Psalm 139 emphasizes, and that is the unbelievable presence of God in all of our lives. Whether we know it or not, whether we want it or not, uh, there's a writer uh, who was born in the 1880s, died in the 1960s. He was Swiss. His name was Max Picard. And he was Jewish by birth and then converted to Catholicism later in life. And he, he wrote a book called The Flight from God. And it's a description of this attempt that we have in our modern culture to build our lives apart from any transcendent creator, apart from God. We, we build our lives as though it doesn't really matter whether God exists or not, and we can create our own meaning in life. And this, is, this was not always the case. So here's a, an extended quote from this book, The Flight from God. Max Picard says this, Once, faith was the universal and prior to the individual, there was an objective world of faith, while the flight from God was only accomplished subjectively within the individual man. The opposite, though, is true today. The objective and eternal world of faith is no more. 
It is faith which has to be remade moment by moment through the individual's act of decision, that is to say, through the individual cutting himself off from the world of the flight. Now, what does this mean? What, what it means is that in our day, it used to be that it was assumed in, in, West, in the Western world that you were a Christian and that there is a, a transcendent creator God who has control of all things and who knows us intimately Today, that has been flipped. And so if it's just, it's just part of our culture that we flee from God as, as the natural course of what we learn as we grow up. And you might grow up in a Christian home, you might not, but we tend to see most people around us and the culture around us uh, determining who they are and what they are by their own measure and not by God's. And so to avoid the flight from God we have to consciously strive to understand that God is actually with us all the time, that his presence, his personal presence is, in fact, with us. And, and so let's look at the text. It says, O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. Uh, you know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern all of my thoughts from afar. So God is present with us he knows us better than anyone else. It says, you search out my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all of my ways. Everything that we do, God knows that we do. Now, there are perhaps some parallels um, in your life of, of people who you spend a lot of time with. Okay? Uh, I, I, have, um, I had a big week this, this last week. Um, one of the things that I did this last week, um, I'm turning 50 later this year, okay? I'm not sure what to make of that, but I am. And I have two really good friends who, uh, my two best friends who I grew up with, and um, at the beginning of the year, I said, for my birthday, I want us to get together and spend a couple days together. So we, um, we it, it took a while. I harangued them and persisted because they're really busy and I'm busy and we figured out a date and it was, it was Thursday and Friday and yesterday. And so here's my two buddies. This is Timmy and Dustin and we spent uh, the weekend together in North Carolina and we ate very well. Um, have you ever heard of a Blackstone Grill? It's like a big griddle, and so we had just a lot of eggs and a lot, even more bacon, and then we had steaks that are uh, just, they were incredibly thick, and uh, we've known each other for 40 years, and we've been in each other's lives, but we live in different cities, so we're not really, like, we know each other well, but it's hard to know exactly what's happening in our everyday lives. We're not present with each other all the time, but I also celebrated on Wednesday, um, Leah and I celebrated our 26th wedding anniversary. And so we went out to a really nice meal. We went to the, the refectory. It was fantastic. And we are present. We're very present in each other's lives. She might say we're too present in each other's lives. I don't know. But even in the marriage relationship, when you have a great marriage and you're very thankful for your husband or your wife, the presence of that person is not to the same, to the same degree and extent as it is with the living God. God knows us 
better even than our closest friends, even better than our own husband, our own wife. Even before, it says, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether in verse 4. Before we say it, God knows what we will say. Verse 5, you hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. This, the phrase in the Hebrew is actually used in the military language of when a city is under siege, when it's surrounded. God has us surrounded, brothers and sisters. He, he knows us. He has hemmed us in behind and before. We, cannot, we might try to take flight from God. It, it doesn't work. And then David says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. We can't even begin to understand fully how present God is with us. In verses 7 through 12, this metaphorical uh, exploration of what it would be like to try to flee from God's presence. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. The highest heights. If I make my bed in Sheol, do you know what Sheol is? It's the place of the dead. So I could go as high as I could, as low as I could. And you are right there with me, God. And then, if you imagine, when, when David wrote this, he was in Palestine, of course, and the sun rose, and, and if you were looking out over the Mediterranean, when the sun rose, you could probably see, you know, as far as the eye could see, the, the dawn was coming. And so it says, if I take the wings of the morning, and I think that's like the, the dawn, and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, as far as he can see, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. And then the metaphor of darkness and light. Surely the darkness will cover me. No, it does not cover us from God. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. In every case, in every situation, God is present with us. And as I said, depending on how you understand this great God of the universe... Uh, that, that could come as either really oppressive or really wonderful news. Because if we, if we understand who God is and we do not want him to be part of our lives, it can be very oppressive. We don't want this, it feels like almost like surveillance. But the truth is that we cannot hide from God. And so I, I, just as a practical way of, uh, of applying this, um, we are in an epidemic of loneliness in our day and age where our, our young people feel more lonely than they ever have even though they're more connected online than they've ever been. And that's probably true for many adults. Do you feel lonely, brother, sister? Are, are some of the relationships that you've had for a long time broken? Have you, have you been, been widowed? If you are in that position... I want you to know that you might feel lonely, but you are never alone. You're never alone. God is ever present with you. He knows every intention of your heart. He knows every thought, every emotion, every act, every word that you speak. And you know what's amazing? He loves you in spite of that. I mean, I don't know about you, but if my thoughts... Every word I spoke, every action, every intention was up on this screen, I would sprint out of here. It would be horrifying. 
And yet God knows all of that about us, and he loves us still. That is good news, amen? He knows us. He is present with us. He also has incredible plans for us, verses 13 through 18. God, uh, it says, formed our inward parts. The word there for inward parts literally is uh, the kidneys. And, and so it's the sense of God forming all of our internal, um, I guess all of our innards. He, he formed those. And he clothed us. He knit us together in our mother's womb. And then it says, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And what that means is that when we look at the human body, at the body and soul uh, connection, the unity of body and soul, all of the ways that we are made, it ought to cause us to be in awe of God, to have tremendous wonder, and to fear God, to respect his unbelievable omnipotence that he can do such a thing as create human beings, the apex of his creation. There's a, there's a website, um, I've, I've mentioned it before, it's called gotquestions.org. And it's a great website. If you just go, if you have a question about the Bible and you, you want an answer real quickly, go to gotquestions.org. It's really helpful. But in, in the, their little question about um, being fearfully and wonderfully made, this is just a little paragraph. It says, the function of the digestive tract and the related organs, the longevity of the heart, the formation and function of nerves and blood vessels, the cleansing of the blood through the kidneys, the complexity of the inner and middle ear, the sense of taste and smell, and so many other things we barely understand. Each one is a marvel and beyond man's ability to duplicate. Truly, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. End quote. If you just stop and think about all of the functions of the human body, it's absolutely phenomenal. He goes on, my frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. Think about that for a moment. Every single day that you and I live, the living God has known each one of them and understands what we will go through before we go through it. This is absolutely phenomenal. God being eternal, we can't wrap our minds around this. He's eternal, he's not bound by time. He sees past, present, future in a glorious now. And you and I, being bound by time, cannot ever fully understand that this side of heaven. But God knows all of our days. Before we ever live them, he knows the days that were formed. They were written, every single one of them. And this is a phenomenal thing that God has a plan for your life and mine. It often is not the plan that you and I would script out. But he has wonderful plans for us. And I also want to point out in this text, this is not the main point of Psalm 139. Nevertheless, it is very important to say that the logical conclusion of verses 13 through 16 is that you and I are formed as persons in the womb. 
we were formed before we were born and as we were developing in the womb. And this is Psalm 139, but it's just one of a number of biblical texts that have led Christians to believe for 2,000 plus years that the taking of a preborn baby's life is in fact the taking of a life. The early church was known, they were notorious for both making sure that pregnant moms gave birth to their children and taking in children who were exposed through infanticide that was very, very common in Greco-Roman culture. And ever since then, Christians have held to this, to the belief that persons are persons made in the image of God just like me and you, and they have the right to be born. And so we have a ministry in our church. It's called the Life Team, and that Life Team partners with those organizations that support moms who are in desperate need of material help, of spiritual help, of psychological help, and they do all kinds of things to support moms who are giving birth to their child and they're in a very, very difficult situation. We support a a ministry for foster parents who, who need help, who are caring for children who otherwise would not have anyone to care for them. In, in our church, we, there was a family who adopted a few years ago. Our church rallied around this family, Scott and Nicole Contour, and we raised money to help them to do that, to adopt a child. And my hope is that we continue to see that in our church. Amen? And so you may be here, and this all may be new to you, and you may be thinking, whoa, 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 I did not sign up for this this morning. Um, I, I don't... I just want you to to think about it because this is what Christians believe and you may not be there yet. You are welcome here. That is completely fine, okay? Uh, We want you to wrestle with these things. But I think it's worth noting that the text describes a God who creates human beings in the womb. And so we as Christians, uh, that's what we believe. And not only that, we, we care for every human being. You know, inside or outside the womb. That's why we have mercy ministry. That's why we care so much about serving the poor and serving people in our community. So this extends beyond the womb, of course. But what this describes is that every human being is created fearfully and wonderfully in the image of God. And no matter what that person does, no matter how far they've fallen, they have not fallen beyond the loving grace of God. And that goes for everybody in this room. You know, you may have a lot of regrets. You may have regrets related to what I was just talking about, about every human being being fearfully and wonderfully woven together in his or her mother's womb. I want you to know that that grace extends to you no matter what you've done, no matter what you regret. Because our God is a God of grace, amen? Our God is a God who who forgives, amen? Are you all awake? Can I get a louder amen than that? Okay, thank you. Yeah, I love the hand in the back, thank you. Continue to wave it to the Lord. 17 and 18, it says, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God, how vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they're more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. This is David just saying how unbelievably amazing our God is. And if we just meditate on how amazing he is, we will be overcome. His thoughts are more than the sand. He is far greater than we 
can ever understand. And uh, I think there's a very good uh, application for, for this part of Psalm 139, and that, that is simply this. Uh, oftentimes, you and I struggle because we look at other people around us and we wish that we had the things that they had. A lot of times it relates to the gifts that we lack. And I, I find this to be particularly the case with young people, with students who are growing up. It's easy to look around and see people who you wish you had what they had. You wish you had their gifts, their outgoing personality, their, their uh, athletic ability, their academic ability. If you feel that way, and most of us do at one point or another, you need to know that God created you exactly as you are. Now, he doesn't want to keep you there, okay? He, he wants you to grow and become all that you are intended to be in Christ. But the gifts that you have been given, those are the gifts that you are to use to bless the world around you. Don't look at what you don't have. Continue to discover what you do have. And then use it to make an impact in the world. Because God has made you exactly as you are. And there's only one you. You are unique in the strict definition of that word. A little side note, pet peeve of mine is when people say, that's pretty unique. Because that's not what it means. Unique, by definition, is one of a kind. You can't be pretty unique. You can only be unique or not. And you are unique. There is never going to be another one like you. So use what God has given you and rejoice in it because he has big plans for you to use you in the grand scheme of his overall plans of redemption for the world. And... We go from this to a rather abrupt change of pace. And, and I would just call this passion in verses 19 through 22. Uh, this seems completely bizarre. When you read verses 19 through 22, there's this, it feels like a, I, I, I don't, it, it feels almost like a rage post online. You know, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O oh God. O oh, men of blood, depart from me. I find it ironic that David says, kill all the wicked. They're such men of blood, you know? Because presumably it takes blood to slay the wicked. So um, why is David saying this? And keep in mind, this is not just David. This is all of God's people who have sung this out for years. They, they speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. That's a lot of hate. And aren't we all taught not to hate? I mean, for, for most of us, or a lot of us at least, growing up in the household, that was a word that you don't use, right? You, don't, you teach your kids not to say that word, hate. So, what is happening here? Well, what's happening here is David is expressing his deep opposition to people who are in opposition to God. And since God is a God of love, a God of redemption, a God of grace, 
then this would be people who deny that God is real and who actually spread violence and oppression and defilement and destruction of the innocent and lies about what is actually true. And so to be opposed to those things is actually godly. It is righteous to be opposed to those things. And I think uh, the pendulum has swung so far in our day that we often, I mean, I find myself doing it, just kind of sometimes even chuckling at, at evil, you know, like thinking, oh, it's no big deal, or, or brushing it under the rug and, and just not thinking too much of it. David did not do this. He hated the, the, the evil of his day and those who opposed God. Um, this is what John Calvin said of this passage. He says, our godliness must be defective if it doesn't generate an abhorrence of sin. It means if we do not continually hate sin, there is something wrong with our godliness. We, are, we, have, we have room to grow. I know I have room to grow. Do you have room to grow in this regard? And, and I want you to know that this actually has been part of the Christian um, understanding of the world. It's not just, well, they were mean back then in the Old Testament and now we're nice to everybody and we, we don't you know, think too much about evil. At the very end of the Bible, Revelation twenty two twenty, we find this prayer, come Lord Jesus. Do you know what happens when the Lord Jesus comes? There's judgment. There's judgment. Jesus is returning to judge and he will, he will judge and destroy those who persist in rebellion against him. And so we ought to hate the rebellion and plead with the rebel to put down their weapons and submit to God. And so my question for you is, do you have a passion for the end of the sinful ways of people who do things that are opposed to God's kingdom, his kingdom of grace and mercy and love? Do you have that passion within you? If not, perhaps we should pray it. And this is exactly what happens to close this great psalm out. Uh, it ends with a prayer. And it ends with the, how it began. Uh, notice in verse 1, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. Verse 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. It says, you discern my thoughts from afar in verse 2. Try me and know my thoughts. And see, the only way that it works, that we hate sin and that we want sinners to be uh, rebuked and their sinful activities to end is if we are looking first within us. Because I think when David prays this at the end and when we pray this prayer, see if there is any grievous way in me, what are we doing? We are saying, I am liable to be the man or the woman that I hate. I am absolutely liable to doing the things like taking the Lord's name in vain and opposing God's reign and his kingdom in the ways that I live my life. So search me, oh God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts and see if there's any grievous way in me. We know that there are grievous ways in us. We don't want to become the people who are doing the very things that we hate. We want to plead with sinners to come to Christ. And we want to test our own lives so that we do not become all of the things that we know are wrong. And the only way to test our grievous thoughts, 
the only way to be searched. The, the only way to experience the presence of God, not as oppressive, but as a great blessing. The only way to know the plan of God as a good plan, and not a random plan filled with all kinds of suffering and difficulties and mysteries. The only way to have passion, and the way we ought to have passion against sin, while also pleading with sinners to come to Christ, is to know the love of God. And how do we know the love of God? It is very, very simple. It's as simple as saying, yes, we were made in the image of God. And, and we are unique in all of creation. And we as humans are uniquely made. And yet we have turned away. We have become what verses 19 through 22 describe. Those people that take God's name in vain, that, that hate him. And we run from him. All of us are guilty of fleeing the flight from God. That's all of us. And yet in that position, God sent his son Jesus to rescue us. He sent us, he sent Jesus, as Luke 19 says, to seek and save the lost, those who have taken flight from him. And Jesus comes and he offers his life for our, in exchange for our lives. And if you and I would lay down our lives, if we would acknowledge that we are indeed sinners and we would trust that Jesus died on the cross for us and that he rose again victoriously, then you and I, by putting our faith in Christ, we can have life with God. And this God who knows everything about us, he becomes our, our great father who knows us and loves us still. And we get to go out into the world shining the love and light of Christ in the world. And so to say, search me, O God, and know my heart, and test and try me and know my thoughts and see if there is any grievous way in, in me, and lead me in the way everlasting is a plea for salvation. And that salvation comes in Christ alone. It's all by grace. It's not what we do. And so we come to him freely. We come to him no matter what we've done, no matter what we've done wrong. And we are invited to come because Jesus laid down his life for us. As we are going to celebrate momentarily, he shed his blood for us. He gave his body to be bruised and broken for us. And he conquered death so that he might also conquer the grievous ways within us. All of that is good news for sinners like us. Amen. It's good news for those who know Christ. It's good news for anyone here who doesn't know Christ. You too can come, even right now, to repent and trust in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you know us, that you have searched us and known us. Lord, we pray that we would welcome your presence, that when we feel lonely, that we would know and trust that you are with us and that we are truly never alone, that we would believe in your plan for us and know that no matter what happens, you are working out your wonderful purposes and to trust your plan. We pray that we would too have passion to oppose sin and evil and wickedness in the world. And Lord, may this prayer of the last two verses of Psalm 139 be the prayer of our lives, that we would want you to search us, O oh God, and know our hearts, that you would 
that we would invite you to try us and know our thoughts and see if there's any grievous way in us and that you would lead us in the way that is everlasting. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.